I often say that addiction is the result of not knowing how to find safety inside of yourself. So you find it in something else and understandably you get hooked on it because you're desperate for safety. That's all you're guilty of. Any of you looking to learn more about supporting addiction recovery through a trauma-informed and somatic lens and a nutritional lens, please join me for my addiction circle. This is a bi-monthly, entirely free, virtual circle that I invite anyone here to come and join if they want more information. Addiction tends to be so steeped in shame, and I find that doing this work in a community of people helps to destigmatize that shame so you can see how not alone you are in the experience. So whether you are personally withdrawing, preventing, experiencing relapse, or you work with people who are actively addicted or in recovery, all are welcome. The next addiction circle is Tuesday, July 2nd at 4 p.m. EDT. This meeting is not recorded for the sake of anonymity. No registration is necessary. Just join through the link below. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Hi, everyone. This is Evan, the admin assistant here at Holistic Life Navigation. Today's episode is a replay of the somatic drop-in, now renamed Community Somatics, from December 5th. Enjoy. So many new faces. I love doing these because so many new people show up to these. Good to see you all. Hmm. And see how it feels for you as you land in, whether you look at the faces with me, whether you just kind of land into yourself, just seeing how your body feels right now. We can go for weeks, months, years without somebody saying, how does your body feel right now? So notice what it's like to receive the question, how does your body feel right now? Where is it tense? Where is it feeling ease? Where is it stressed? Or where's there pressure? And just not doing a thing about it, but noticing it. That's it. I'm going to introduce my team so you can orient to them if you're not used to us or you haven't done something with us before. I'm Luis Mojica, the founder of Holistic Life Navigation, and I'm going to teach you a lot today about the relationship between food and trauma recovery and stress. Let's go to Mariko Malaya. Hi, I am um, the operations manager at HLN and an assistant. So you are welcome to DM me anytime you want. If you have a question, clarity, um, and yeah, I'm really happy to see so many people here today. Camille Leek. Hi, everyone. I am community manager and assistant teacher here at HLN. So I will be chiming in from time to time um, to, during today's session. 
um, and answer any other questions you may have. And Evan Adams. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm the admin assistant here. So if you have any technical questions, you can always send them my way. Um, if you email info at holisticlifenavigation.com, that will be me. So you'll reach me if you email me there. And I also offer sound healings through courses and different things in the membership. Thank you. So you can orient to these three. And if you have any questions or want some co-regulation or connection, just like Marika said, feel free to DM them. Uh, particularly Evan and Marika, because Camille will be doing some, like she said, chiming in and helping me call in hands and such. Uh, whereas Evan and Marika are really here to connect with you if you have any questions about anything, even just what you're feeling in your body while you're here. So I usually start these off with people bringing their intentions and from those intentions, I kind of build the outline of what I want to talk about, but I already know what I want to talk about today. So I'm not going to start with intentions. I'm going to go right into it and then we'll do some, we'll do some weaving. We'll do some weaving from there. So let's just start by feeling into this idea of the relationship between food and your nervous system, the relationship between food and trauma, food and stress. It's, it's shockingly still very unexplored territory that I want to get into today and play with and take you, take you through the landscape so you can get to know it more. I personally love emojis. So when something like resonates with you or doesn't, or you have some kind of like emotional response, feel free to send them out <laughs> into the, into the virtual landscape, because it, it's when I'm not live with people, it's how I kind of assess what the you know collective is feeling. So anytime something is said or comes up, feel free to do that. And so one more time, notice in your body when you think, when you hear me say, the connection between food and stress, food and trauma, what your body does, not what your mind does, but what does your body do? Does something constrict? Does something get excited? Does something get numb? I'm going to turn my light on actually. Like what happens as you feel into that? What do you notice? And maybe you can go to the DMs and DM Camille what happens in your body. And she'll read a couple of them anonymously. So you'll be anonymous. What happens in your body when you think about this? And while she's getting those, put up an emoji if you've already started exploring this connection. So I have an idea of how many people I'm speaking to that might have done this with me already or somebody else. Or even intuitively, right? Beautiful. And we're not going to do any hands just yet, unless people are putting up their hands to let me know. Uh, we're just going to do a sharing through Camille right now. Go ahead, Camille. Uh, tightness, constriction in the throat, nausea, sadness, tingling in the stomach, feeling clu clueless, exhaustion, uh, feeling small, pressure in the heart, feeling of urgency. Uh, constriction, like I'm doing something wrong, uh, increased heartbeat, chest constricts, uh, oops, in fast. Uh, throat constriction, uh, relaxation in the stomach because I feel validated, uh, pressure in the front half of the body. Maybe one or two more. Uh, uh, the gut got tight and heaviness. Thank you. So notice the, the, the majority of those were not uh, pleasant feelings. They're, they're big feelings. There's shame, there's confusion, there's overwhelm, there's fear. Totally understandable. 
The interesting thing about food through the lens that I teach it and, and live it is that food is a relational experience. So when you're eating something, it's not like you're just eating something. You're having a relationship to a being, whether that being has been super processed from this whole form into something like a cupcake, or if it's the really kind of early whole stage of it, like a bowl of brown rice, it's a being. It had a life, whether it's plant or animal. It has babies. It has offspring. It has protective mechanisms. It has thoughts and feelings. And the way I see nutrition is the, the memory of that body. So if we think about somatics and we think about the body being the subconscious, our memory is in our cells, right? So the kind of soil a plant is in, the kind of weather patterns it endures, the kind of stress it has from the landscape becomes the way its body forms nutrients into the stalk, into the seed, into the fruit, into the vegetables. So nutrients are really the body memory, the body experience of this living being, whether it be plants or animal. And that's what's so important here as I'm teaching this through this lens, it's relational. So when you eat an orange, let's say, it goes into your body, this being, and orange is a whole food, hasn't been processed, goes and still alive, you know, actually goes into your body and starts breaking down with your body's enzymes. So there's this intimate connection where these different creatures start to speak, right? And there's something called a bioflavonoid that comes from vitamin C. And there's all these different bioflavonoids. Your body starts pulling different ones out. And these bioflavonoids go into different parts of the body to repair usually tissue. They help build collagen amongst many other things. But I'm using this, this example so you can get a glimpse at how much happens inside of you that you have no clue is happening, that you're not in charge of, that you don't even know how to do. No one here knows how to turn vitamin C into a bioflavonoid. Your body does. Why? Because your body is this ancient being that knows the land, and the land is an ancient being. We have these two beings coming together, having a conversation in our body that we call digestion. Okay? Now, so that's the animistic spiritual lens of it. Let's move into the nervous system adrenal lens of it. Certain foods are going to spike your blood sugar. And when they spike your blood sugar, your pancreas makes a ton of insulin. Insulin is indiscriminate, meaning it doesn't care how much glucose it gets rid of. Its job is to get rid of extra blood sugar. So it forces it into your cells and it forces it into your uh, muscles and your organs. It does this until there's almost no sugar left in your body. Your, body, your blood sugar is now tanking. It's dropping rapidly. Often within 30 minutes of eating something sweet, something that spikes sugar, within 30 minutes, it will then tank because of the insulin response. That tanking will then turn on your adrenals. Your adrenals have to make adrenaline to make the liver convert what's called glycogen, which is a stored form of sugar, into a usable form of glucose. So the easy way to say this, whenever you eat something that spikes your blood sugar, within an hour or less, you'll have an adrenal response. So I'm going to pause there just so you can feel that. I catch up to that. This is not about sugar being good or bad. This is just about what it does. Now, what happens when we have an adrenal response? We have fight or flight response. When you are someone that has PTSD, when you are someone that experiences chronic stress, you are in a constant adrenal response. Anything that amps that up also amps up your symptoms of PTSD and stress, right? Isn't this such a simple connection? 
So as it amps up those symptoms, anxiety, panic, self-hatred, shame, fear, insomnia, you name it, IBS, autoimmune issues, chronic constriction and inflammation, all those things also amp up. And I'm not talking about like over the course of decades, which yes, talking about an hour or two after you eat something that spikes your blood sugar levels. Okay. Now these foods that spike those levels tend to be stimulants. That's what I've, I've categorized them as because they stimulate your body. Now, emotionally, why do we grab for stimulants emotionally? Because the body is in a state of fatigue. Okay. Now, some of you that know the, the, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, the freeze response is a very difficult one to do anything with because it's, its job is to make you feel still and to make you invisible. Not even feel still, it's trying to slow you down and make you invisible. So I'm just going to pause so we can feel that. Freeze response wants you to play dead. That's the purpose. So it's telling the animal body to stop, get still, breathe more shallow, not appear to be moving. And primitively, it helps you survive a predator because predators are disinterested in victims if they're not fighting back. So the predator's body relaxes and then the animal gets away. That's why a freeze response exists. When we live in what's called functional freeze, the body's always in that. Whether it's like a scale of one to 10, you're at a one or two or an eight or nine, it's some level constricted in that freeze, always preparing to play dead. What helps us get through that? Adrenaline. Stimulating the body stimulates you out of the freeze into functioning. You have clarity again. You can move, you can laugh, you can do emails for eight hours, you can work, you can deal with crises, all these things. So we've learned intuitively, the body knows this, to reach for food to stimulate us into mobility so we can move and function and do things in the world, right? Emotionally, that's important because when we start going down, we start feeling a lot of fear because we can't do as much. It might remind us of times we've been depressed or other people have been depressed. That lowness might invite us into emotions that are waiting for our attention, my friend Asha Frost says it really beautifully, well, her elders have taught her this, that when your body starts going low or feeling low, you should go lower because your body's literally pulling you down to the earth and it wants to weigh you down against the earth's surface and help you transmute some of that stuff you're holding because the earth knows how to do that, right? So when we start going low in our society, I'm speaking as someone who lives in America, when we start going low in our society, we have a, a chronic reflexive habit of then stimulating up out of the lowness. Lowness isn't uh, productive, it's not rewarded very well, it's not highly regarded. So we all have a lot of internalized shame <clears throat> around our slowness and our fatigue and our lowness and our malaise when it comes up. Yet, that's how the body pauses us. That's how the body has boundaries. That's how the body says, I need a break because I've been dealing with a lot. I've been feeling a lot. I put a lot of energy out. Now I need to winter a little bit and let the energy come back to me. But we don't get to go through that season because we have stimulants. We have caffeine. We have sodas. We have high sugar content foods. We have coffees, chocolate. All these foods, in, especially when they're isolated and in high amounts, are going to activate your body to cause an adrenal response to essentially put you into a functional fight or flight. So you have a lot of energy to focus and get things done. And again, a body that's already experiencing PTSD and chronic stress is already in chronic fight or flight, already in a chronic adrenalized state. So adding any little bit more of adrenaline to that body is gonna tip it over really quick. 
So you wake up in the morning, you skip breakfast, and you have coffee instead, your body's already being tipped over, right? And, the, and again, there's a purpose for that. The purpose is so you can live your life, so you can pay the bills, so you can help people, so you can raise kids, whatever it is you're doing. So these are like noble reasons why we would break the body's boundary of slowness unconsciously. It's noble and it breaks the body's boundary of slowness and it adrenalizes us and it puts us into a fight or flight first thing in the morning. So your first hour of being awake on this planet, your body's already going into a state of threat, of, I should say a biology of threat and imbalance because of what you're taking in or not taking in. I'm going to pause so we can just feel that and let the body catch up to that. And when you're doing that, when that becomes your habit to skip food meals, to have high sugar foods, to have caffeine stimulants, then your body requires a lot of help coming down from that because all day long you're buzzing it up. And this is not including actual stress. When I say actual stress, I mean like environmental stressors, right? Cultural traumas, global traumas, personal historical traumas, daily stressors every day that are happening. This is, we can just throw those on a shelf right now without any of that in your life. This is what's happening just with the food habits and choices, which is really important to get because you're already going into a state of internalized trauma response without anything even happening in your life. So just imagine that there's already a lot happening in your life where you're quite empathic and you're attuned, you're feeling a lot of the pain of the world or things that you're seeing and on top of it, adrenalizing yourself with food. Wow. Wow, it's no wonder that body's like, I can barely function. So this is like a moment to just give your body a little hug. Be like, wow, yeah, I can't believe you're living so well for all that. It's doing really well if you think about it, right? And then it gets to this point through the day where it needs to start coming down. When you boost your adrenaline or your adrenal function all through the day with stimulants, you don't create melatonin. And melatonin is a hormone that tells your body it's dark outside. It prepares your body for sleep by saying it's dark. And we used to live on sun and moon cycles. So the body knows when it's dark, it's time to start resting so we can get up with the sun. And we're still built that way. We haven't evolved enough with electricity to not be built that way. So as the melatonin production is repressed or suppressed along with adrenaline function going out the roof, we, what, we require something to exhaust us. This is where the depressants come in. Really heavy foods. These are, these are the ones y'all are going to love to hear. These are the cheeses and the pastas and the, the cheesy bread and the, the pizza. <laughs> Someone just put a pizza emoji right when I said pizza. And it's like, these are the foods that we're just like, oh, come here, baby. Give it to me. I just want to lay, I want to eat this and lay myself down, right? It's what we call the comfort foods. And there's a reason for it. It comforts the adrenals that are so activated throughout the day of the stimulation. And it, it's, these foods are so nutrient-dense. And this is important. I, I should even say calorie-dense is more appropriate, but I'm going to say nutrient-dense because there are a lot of nutrients. There's like tons of protein in cheese, let's say, tons of fat. So there's a lot of nutrition in addition to calories. They're so dense so processed into being dense not like an avocado which is naturally dense but like processed into being dense that we eat much more than we would if it was unprocessed all that means for the body is that the body has to work really hard to now digest it so in that uh, in that 
exhaustion of trying to digest, let's say, a really heavy pizza at 10 p.m., it successfully depletes itself. And in the depletion, your adrenals take a break. And then you get to start settling. Then you get to have maybe some melatonin produced or the feeling like you do because you're so exhausted. And then you're able to get to bed. This is why you want bread and cheese and pasta and wine and cannabis at night because your body is so heightened from the stimulants of the day. And I call this seesaw regulation because the body's being amped up all day long. Then it has to be brought down in the evening just so you can sleep. So to function biologically, your biochemistry starts to rely on these stimulating and depressing foods. It relies on those. Has very little of the in-between foods that I call the balancers. The whole unprocessed foods that don't stimulate you, don't depress you, just actually build your capacity to be with reality. What does that mean? Reality in an embodied sense means I feel where I am. So if I'm experiencing grief, I feel the grief. If I'm experiencing exhaustion, I feel the exhaustion. If I'm experiencing pain or shame or joy, I experience it. And the balancers don't soothe or round off those experiences. They help us feel it. They're like, I call them therapists, you know, from the inside out, where they help us support us to experience our lives and our reality. Whereas um, a pizza, a lot of it, I should say, especially, will soften the blow of a sensation. So if there's a grief coming up and I feel that pang in my stomach, that pizza will successfully soundproof that, that, that those words, that language of sensation that's coming up to meet me. That electricity that moves through us that feels like lightning, that like rips through the body when you're anxious, those foods will successfully soften that, right? No one here that I know of, except for maybe us <laughs> and the people that have taken my course, when having a really stressful day, are like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make some beans, steam some broccoli, and have a little piece of fish. Who's doing that? Come on. If you're doing that, put in your application. I want to hire you. Okay, I see some people are like, I'm doing it. So very, very few, very, very few, but I'm happy you're here. Very happy you're here. But we wouldn't do that. Why? Because that builds your capacity to feel where you are. And most of us don't have the tools to feel where we are. So we use food as medicine. We think food as medicine just means the food that heals us. It doesn't. It means the food that helps us function. So if I'm in a depressive state, I'm lethargic, I'm sad, I'm feeling heavy, the first thing I want is chocolate or um, coffee or soda or something really sugary. I'm going to move toward that because it will give me that adrenal response to come up and out of that state. And if I'm already in that state of buzziness and I'm really up here and I'm activated, I want something to bring me down. When you learn to play with the balancers, guess what? You get bored. The food is boring in comparison. Once you get into it, it, it starts to get really lovely. You learn how to cook it. You learn how to spice it. You have a blast with it. But comparatively, a slice of pizza is very different from brown rice, black beans, and, and some sweet potato. Very different experience. Texturally, experience um, even the 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 uh, excitotoxins and the nerves in the brain that get released with, with dairy, like the casein in dairy, similar to an opioid effect. None of that happens when you're eating these whole unprocessed foods. So it's quite under-stimulating to eat them. They're bland. So they don't satisfy the soothing of these emotional sensations we're carrying. So they're super counterintuitive because the body's instinct is to do something that helps you function and feel better. Its instinct is not to do something that helps you feel more of the pain. 
So you become this kind of co-facilitator of the body, you know, as you work with this, and as you understand the way foods um, express themselves through your body, are living beings, and how those different beings throughout the day affect the way your body feels and is able to show up to stress. I want to turn it over to Camille because she has this excellent personal case study from earlier this year with her daughter in the hospital uh, of this experience of already having the practice of balancing foods and how that built her capacity to experience a, a crisis. Anything else you want to add, Camille? Yeah, yeah. So uh, some of you may be aware, uh, this time last year, uh, I was pregnant and uh, when baby was in utero, found out baby would be born with a heart condition that would require uh, open heart surgery uh, within the first six months of, of her life. Um, baby was born and ended up needing heart surgery a lot sooner than we anticipated at around five weeks old. But even while baby was still in utero, um, knowing that this was coming, it was really important for me to focus on balancing nourishing foods. Um, because even while baby was in utero, I was starting to understand the medical process. It was a lot of hurry up and stop, a lot of hurry up and pause. It was very dysregulating process. And when things started to happen with her, it was incredibly dysregulating. Um, again, we're fine one minute, then we're being rushed off to the NICU, then we're pausing, and then all of a sudden we gotta be rushed off to another hospital, then we're pausing, and then, oh no, baby needs open heart surgery now. And then we're pausing again, we're gonna wait and see. Yep, nope, yep, baby needs open heart surgery. Um, and then baby did get open heart surgery, and 48 hours into her recovery, she went into cardiac arrest while I was in the room. And for 30 minutes, I watched nurses and doctors work to resuscitate her. And it was in that moment, and subsequently, I was incredibly thankful that I had chosen to focus on nourishing foods because it was an incredibly adrenalizing moment, as anyone would expect. You see your child dying in front of you. There was so much activation coming up in my body. And I can't imagine how much more adrenalizing it would have been if I'd also had caffeine in my body or if I'd also had a sugar in my body. Or, for example, I like to fast. I fast for Ramadan. I fast during the new moon or in, during the full moon. Fasting is adrenalizing. I know that. So during this time, I also chose not to fast. Fasting isn't good or bad. It just adrenalizes the body. And so if I had been fasting during this time, I also would have been further adrenalized. So for me, it was incredibly helpful to be in a place where I was balanced, where I wasn't necessarily adrenalized, and I also wasn't depressed and numbed out of the situation. I was able to be present with it. So just take that into your body for a moment, like seeing how you respond, how your body responds as you listen to Camille. Because this question arises for me, for all of you, which is like, how is my food supporting me? We just heard how her food was supporting her. The situation itself was adrenalizing and had to be like a mother watching her daughter die in front of her. And now her daughter is, oh my gosh, I wish she was here. <laughs> She's gorgeous. Um, but just to understand that, right? So adrenal life is adrenalizing. And things like that, obviously, they're designed to be, they need to be to, to save someone or to respond to something. Her food because she understands this work and she was employing the balancing foods, supported her to endure that experience without passing out, without dissociating, and without getting traumatized by it, which is pretty amazing. So if we consider that, I want you to ask yourselves now, based on your lives right now, okay, how is your food supporting you? 
Is it supporting you by activating you like I just taught you about and stimulating you? Is it supporting you by depressing your your body, slowing it down, comforting it? Is it both like the seesaw regulation? Is it mostly balancing you? You might even notice different meals. Like, well, in the morning, I'm really stimulated. I feel a little more balanced with lunch. Like you might notice it, it changes throughout the day. Or when I'm with my parents, it's all depressants. And when I'm alone, it's balancers again. Like it might be different based even relationally who you're with in situations. But just let that answer for a moment. And I would love you to share the answer with Camille in a, in a DM and she'll read some. But how is your food supporting you right now? The first step in this work is noticing. It's not changing what you eat. It's noticing how it's affecting your body. Uh, um, comforting. Uh, I have chronic fatigue. Oops. Uh, very balancing as I have taken many of the steps um, shared, like eating beans. <laughs> Uh, I have chronic fatigue and can't feel any effects one way or an, an, another. Um, depressing, always. This really explains to me why I crave the more depressant foods when I'm sick or on my period. Uh, this, it brings me up, down, and balances me too. Uh, I have a massive, ooh, coming in so fast. Uh, definitely seesaw. As a counselor in the inner city, I find that I need stimulants at work. Balancing on days I work, more varied on days off or days with the family. Um, I'm not sure. I eat the same thing. Uh, turkey, brown rice, and veg veggies every day, all day. So I guess that would be balancing. Uh, it changes throughout the day. Balancing mostly when I'm alone. Uh, I notice when I need comfort, I eat pasta which is a food my mother also cooked a lot when I was younger. Uh, it depends on the day and how much I've planned ahead or how far I've let myself get into hunger or irritability before nourishing myself. Uh, definitely craving and eating sweets to get me out of slowing down and to offer me, offer me comfort. I, notice that, I particularly notice cravings at the end of the day, in the evening, one more if you want, Camille. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, constant caffeine drip. It keeps me moving, acting, and surpassing my boundaries. Oh, caffeine. Oh, caffeine. So let's <laughs> just feel that together. Let's just notice the things we heard. I bet a lot of you heard yourself in those shares. And those of you whose shares weren't read, because there's just too many to read, just feeling it for yourself right now, witnessing your own truth. How does my food support me right now? Not how I wish it supported me, not what I should be doing. What is the reality right now? And trying to see it without shame or judgment. It's what your body requires for functioning, for surviving. One way I like to put it is when you're sleeping, you go into a repair state. So some bodies, in order to sleep and repair, have to depress themselves because they're so adrenalized. So in a way, beyond functioning, it's how your body survives. It's that rooted into your survival. It's not as simple as, oh, I have this insatiable craving for chocolate. I just have no willpower. It's way beyond willpower. It's like to for your body to meet the way your life and your society is structured, these boundaries often have to be surpassed. 
So see what that's like to witness that without much um, ownership in a negative way. Like I'm doing this to myself. No, you're not actually. Your body's requiring this to keep up with whatever your situation is. See how that feels just to take that in and witness that. And just notice where it goes for a moment. One of the most important things we can do if we want to start this journey into eating differently for our nervous system, for our adrenals point, I say step one is the noticing. Like we just started doing noticing when I eat a food, what am I feeling before I eat it? You know, is this craving for the food coming from a state that's looking to be remediated or is it coming from an actual instinct for nutrition? You'll learn that over time when you, ask yourself and you feel and you pause even for a minute or two before you eat something. I'm going to do a demo with somebody, a short one to show you what that looks like soon. Um, actually, while I speak this, if a few of you could write to Camille, anyone who's identified from what I said, like, yes, I really lean on depressants or yes, I really lean on stimulants. Let her know which stimulant or depressant you lean on. And based on that, she'll, she'll call you for a demo in a few minutes. And I'll do a really short one. It's going to be like eight minutes. Just a drop in, okay? Because of the time that we have. Hey, my friends. I created a space that is affordable, accessible, and anyone is allowed to join anytime. And it's called the Library Membership. The Library Membership is an online private platform that hosts dozens of my webinars, my somatic practices, private mini lectures, and movement practices. There's also a monthly sound healing, and you'll be invited to a weekly Tuesday live mini practice with me and other participants. You'll also be invited to be a live audience member in our monthly HLN team podcast recordings, where you'll take place in the Q&A that happens off air after the episode is filmed. For more information on this membership, click on the link below or go to holisticlifenavigation.com and click on membership and then library. You can join right now and you can cancel or pause your subscription at any time. I look forward to seeing you in there. But let's feel that. Let's feel that again. Let's just feel this peace around the relationship to the food. Noticing it, noticing how it affects your body is the craving coming from a sensation that wants to be soothed or is it coming from a hunger for nutrition hunger is very healthy it's your body's way of seeking nutrition to build itself to survive to thrive so we start there we start with that noticing then we go into the like list of well, what do i eat or what don't i eat and the easiest thing to start with or the, i should say the simplest thing is the the foods that let's say don't disturb your blood sugar levels so foods and food habits that don't cause a spike in blood sugar will be the foods that tend to balance you the most. So I would say the foods that don't cause a spike in blood sugar and caffeinated foods, those two should be eliminated or reduced as much as possible. And that's going to give you the best response in terms of not exciting your adrenals all through the day. And when your adrenals get excited, it's not just like, oh, I make adrenaline and I focus. To get to the place where these little like marble sized things on, on your lower back, you know, above your kidneys, 
make adrenaline and then it reaches your brain, it has to go through so many, so many processes. Your blood vessels have to uh, constrict. In the constriction of the blood vessels, your blood pressure has to rise to force all the blood to come up here. So as you're adrenalized, your blood vessels are constricted, your blood pressure is rising, your muscles are getting more tense, your joints are pulling back and inward, your fascia is getting hardened because it's so constricted by this, your, uh, your rate, your heartbeat is increasing, your breath is getting more shallow, you're getting hit with a huge amount of glucose because of the way the adrenaline works with glycogen, and that's giving you all this brain clarity, which is also taking nutrition from your muscles. This whole process is happening in your body within a half hour just from that adrenaline being stimulated from a blood sugar spike or from a caffeinated stimulant. That's important to honor. We, we, we tend to see things in an isolated manner, so we just think, well, coffee boosts my clarity, and it sounds great. And it is. It's a great feeling. We all know how that feels to have a stimulant that boosts our clarity. But how does it boost our clarity? What else must suffer in the body to get a really clear brain? So much has to be excavated and borrowed and taken and imbalanced to temporarily make this brain work 10 times faster than it naturally wants to. And then when the brain stops being fed the glucose, what happens? Your body's completely depleted. Your nervous system gets more excited. When the brain's more excited, it can get inflamed from that over time. There are so many processes that go down. The final one I'll list, when you have a high amount of adrenaline, your bile has a higher amount of hydrogen. If you think of like hydrogen peroxide, hydrogen in the bile burns your stomach lining. And this is why chronic stress is linked to IBS and a lot of autoimmune conditions. Every day you eat food, your stomach lining is being burnt as the food moves through it because the bile is loaded with hydrogen from the excessive amounts of adrenaline. So it's not as simple as my adrenals make me more clear. When you make excess adrenaline consistently, like you're made to make little doses of it, when it's just constantly being stimulated, your whole body is dealing with that in a way that isn't as health-giving as some of the other benefits. Does this mean to stop drinking coffee? No, it means to be aware of it. So you can start noticing and being easier on yourself why maybe your belly isn't getting better, why it's hard to sleep, why you have a very low threshold for stress. It's very easy for you to get triggered. These are the reasons, much more than who you are, even what you've been through. The amount of people we've seen pass through our door for the course we do, which we teach this a lot in, who've been through horrific events, their bodies drastically change sometimes within three days just from incorporating what we call the quiet diet, just from incorporating these balancing foods that quiet the body from all its nervousness and loudness. And not quiet through suppressed, quiet through creating space for these things to move through and metabolize. So you can be, you can have gone through hell and have a really stressful life, like just like Camille's personal case study with her daughter. And your body will meet these experiences with a much more incredible grace and um, capacity because your food is building your capacity rather than lowering it, right? So when we think about the foods, that aren't gonna spike the blood sugar, I'm gonna keep this really simple for us. Those foods are the whole unprocessed foods. If it looks the way it looked in nature, you're good. It's that simple. It's that simple. If it's a grain, 
if it's a bean, if it's a nut, if it's a seed, if it's unprocessed animal protein, if you eat animal protein, that includes eggs, okay? If it's a vegetable, only one is fruit, believe it or not. When fruits are eaten out of their local environment, like a tropical fruit eaten in New York, let's say, there's uh, an incongruency because tropical fruits, again, have this body information that we call nutrition from being in the tropics, where they create a lot more juice. And in that juice are a ton of electrolytes and sugar. Why would we want that? Because we're sweating constantly in the tropics. So there's this beautiful inflow and outflow. You take that same fruit, which is health giving in, let's say, Puerto Rico, and you go to New York and you're eating in the winter. It goes in, but it doesn't go back out because you're not sweating. You're not having that relational land relationship with the food that the food would provide if you were doing it where it's natively grown, right, or originated. And so your body is getting a huge shock of fruit, fructose, which is the fruit sugar, and the same thing happens as if you're eating a giant cake. More nutrition, that's the difference. But what I'm talking about by the same thing is the same insulin response and then adrenaline response happens, especially if it's a juice. If it's a green juice with a bunch of pineapple juice into it, you just spiked your blood sugar. And you got a ton of chlorophyll and vitamin K and vitamin A and like beautiful things. So excellent. And your blood sugar just spiked. And then your insulin spikes. And then your adrenaline spikes. So if we, the, the rule with fruit is if it grows where you live, go for it. If it doesn't, consider lowering it or pairing it with nuts. Pairing it with the fat and the protein with the nuts will slow the release of fructose. And then you won't have the spike. And that's one of like the secrets of how do I enjoy something sweet? You still can. If it's low sugar, which is eight grams or less, so a teaspoon or less, and it's with a fatter or protein, that's going to be so sweet and delicious, especially over time when you get off like high sugars. But the, the spike isn't going to happen. It's going to be a slow release of glucose like this. So you don't need the insulin spike and then you don't require the adrenaline spike. So you can still to be corny, have your cake and eat it too, as long as it's eight grams or less and it's with a protein and a fat. So you can play with that a little bit if you want to get into the nitty gritty around sugar. But just to keep it simple, whole unprocessed foods are balancing foods. And if you can eat them within an hour of waking up and every three to four hours have some kind of whole unprocessed snack or a meal, especially in the early stages, your body will start feeling balanced. You'll feel it immediately because if you think about what I said with blood sugar, it's a 30-minute experience where you have the boost and the crash, 30 minutes. So imagine if you're not boosting that, you're going to feel that in 30 minutes. When you eat a meal that's with whole and processed food, you're going to feel that in your body. And then when you start getting hungry or cranky, you're going to want to grab for the candy bar, but think, well, what happened if I had some nuts? What if I had some like hummus and cucumbers? And you'll see a whole difference in your body. You'll notice wow, I was feeling really low and now there's this kind of balance coming in me instead of I'm getting lower or I'm being forced to go higher. Do we have a demo person? We do. Uh, okay. Luis, are they able to come off mute? They are now. Okay. Mila, please come off mute so I can spotlight you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm i like, whoa, I got chosen. <laughs> you got the demo lottery. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tell me the, the situation. What's the food that you identified? Um, mostly sugar um, and something else. Oh, go ahead. What did you say? You said, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? Something else. Oh, just that. I like had um, quit smoking like cigarettes recently. And so I think since then, um, 
yeah, just kind of like, I'll get like migraines, which I used to go away from like smoking. And then now it's like sugar has kind of become the thing to like, mm -hmm. I think try to get them to like go That's away. That's right. That's right. Excellent. So this is great noticing already because nicotine is a stimulant and sugar is a stimulant. So when you remove one stimulant, your body will find a way to get stimulated somewhere else. And this tends to, when we understand food through this lens, we really start to understand addiction through a new lens. Because when I work with, I've worked with people, let's say you're addicted to cocaine. And then when they stop using cocaine, they amp up their coffee. And then they stop drinking coffee, they amp up their sugar. So the body knows how to get that same hit that helps you feel safe. That's the whole root of addiction is you don't feel safe inside yourself. So you find safety in a substance temporarily. So it's just looking for that. And you're gonna teach us that in a moment with this demo. So tell us your favorite, like when you imagine like just the dream sugar, <laughs> what is it? What's, what is it? What's the food? Um, <laughs> like lately it's been Coca-Cola, which I guess is sort oh, of like yeah. also caffeine. That's like... the one. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let, let, let's be with that for a minute. And so like, did you have one yet today or two or three? No, I haven't actually, but I did have like very, I've been drinking like trying to like kind of get off of caffeine so i'll have a lot of like very sugary like decaf mm -hmm. coffee like multiple so i have had like a couple of those beautiful let's actually start with those since you've had them is that cool okay when's the last yeah. one you had how long has it been um maybe like three hours ago perfect so what we're gonna do is and one more question are you craving another one yet or where are you on your schedule with wanting another cup of that I, I think being here is pretty regulating, so I'm, mm. I'm not craving one currently. Yeah, so I don't okay. know if that's going to be like a problem for like the demo. <laughs> yeah. So let's see what it's like when you think, like, let's go back three hours in your mind. Tell me what okay. you were doing before you had the sweet decaf. Um, I think I like hadn't gotten like enough sleep and I just was like, the, my, my head was like really constricted. That's right. So let's just feel that together. Let's pause and just notice like almost let the body's memory be called back to that moment before that last cup you had. And just tell me what you notice in your body, whether it's emotional, physical, image, anything that comes up. There is, there's just a lot of constriction in like my heart and in my stomach also. Um, mm -hmm. And I sort of feel like that's where, like, when the constriction's, like, not in my head, I feel like it will kind of, like, go down there where it can be more, like, metabolized. So it feels better mm -hmm. than it being, like, up here, at least. Mm -hmm. Good awareness. So the constriction's up there, you have this cup, and something shifts in your body, right? So let's just feel that currently. Pick one place that's constricted, whether it's the heart or the belly. Which one wants your attention more? I think the heart. Okay, let's put our hand over our heart. And anyone that empathizes with this, that feels something, just follow us as if you're in the chair where Neela is, okay? And when you put your hand over your heart, just tell me what your heart does when your own touch is there. Yeah, it definitely like relaxes a lot. Mm -hmm. Like it feels more open. Mm -hmm. Let's take our time with that. Just breathing into that openness and just seeing what the body does next. There's no right or wrong thing to do, just whatever it does, you tell me. I think now I'm starting to feel more of like the like the head constriction, kind of like at like the crown. Mm -hmm. 
of my head. Um, Good. Let's move. Let's move right to there. I love that. And I like how you traced it for me, so I can see how big it is. Let's see what it's like just to presence the crown constriction. See where it takes us. What does it do? Yeah, I kind of it's kind of going down more into like my temples, also. Um, now I have a question for you with that. So this constriction up here is from what you were saying can be the catalyst for you to go grab that really sweet cup of decaf. So you're with me right now and you're feeling that and we're not grabbing the decaf. What happens when we just notice it and we soften into it without trying to get away from it with a stimulant? What does it do next? What emotion might come forward or image or memory or anything? Mm, um... Yeah, then I feel like the constriction kind of moves back into like my heart and like in my throat mm -hmm. a little bit. And your hand goes right to your throat. Let's go right back there. Let's like hold that together and just see what what's that about? What emotion is there or what words are there? Like what what's attached to that sensation beyond just the sensation if your body shows you? Yeah, I think it's about like... Um, yeah, like just knowing there's like certain like changes I want to make in my life and like wanting to like just do it already, but like feeling, I guess, a pull to like rest also. Let's feel that together. And what's the emotion that arises from these changes I want to make and I don't have capacity to make them right now. Like I just want to rest. I don't, I don't have the energy to make these changes. What happens emotionally when you hold that for yourself? I think overwhelm, like yeah. even kind of like I lost my train of thought. Like I feel like yes. I just, yeah, don't even, I have like a kind of like stuckness. That's right. And if you could pinpoint in the body sensationally where the overwhelm is like sitting or getting stuck, where, where would that be? It's in my head and, and my mm -hmm. throat a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So would you try something with me? Sure. Yeah. And if it doesn't feel right to say no, thank you. Um, either whether it's laying down or having your head against a wall or like a pillow behind you, I'd love for the head to have some support so you're not holding it up. Can you do okay. that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. That'd be great. Take your time. Anyone else, again, feel free to join us. If you notice your head's constricted, see what it's like to give us some support. Yeah, beautiful. And tell us what happens as you let your head be held where all this overwhelm sits. Yeah, definitely like where, yeah, where like my head is like touching the pillow, it feels like that part is resting. Mm -hmm. And then kind of like up at the top of my head, it feels a little constricted still, but but definitely mm -hmm. more like supported. Feeling. And let's stay with it for another minute. Let's see what it's like to let the constriction, like we're not trying to get rid of it. We're just seeing what it's like as the constriction is held on a pillow rather than the constriction is stimulated away. Right, just feeling that and breathing into that and just seeing if anything happens, it might just stay constricted on the pillow. You tell us. Yeah, it still feels like a little constricted, but kind of more like lighter and a little more like, yeah, like, 
but yeah like the feeling of it just feels different it feels more kind of like staticky or something versus like um yeah pushing down just kind of more on the surface yeah exactly are you okay if we land here for now i'm going to speak about this a little bit yeah yeah thank you so much thank you Um, thank you so much really appreciate it yeah thank you again okay bye neela and there's some hearts going up for you and i love when people put up emojis for people who do these uh like lend us their nervous system to to learn some of this so this was important okay we heard some some of these things that she was reporting to us we heard the words um i want there's so much i need to get done and my body's tired it wants to rest so that speaks to that boundary of that is fatigue that the fatigue is saying i can't do more and then there's this impulse to drink something really sweet and decaf is still calf it's just much lower so you're still getting a low hit of caffeine and lots of liquid sugar which is important with something like coffee or like coke like you were saying it's a free free form sugar it's not bound to a fat uh, unless you have a ton of cream like half of the amount of coffee has to also have half the amount of cream there's not that much fat or protein in it so it's an instant hit of glucose which is an instant spike which spikes the insulin and then spikes the adrenaline right so we heard that we heard that boundary her body was giving her that's the first important thing and then notice how it felt in your body to see somebody else feeling a constriction something unpleasant and laying it down and letting it be held and letting it be part of her experience compared to doing something to either soften it to not feel it or to stimulate out of feeling it just pause and notice that now as i say that back to you what happens in your body when you witness that how often have you seen or even been told directly to push through it it's again very rare very counterculture to feel stress and say i'm going to lay my body down for 10 minutes and then do the thing and then make the decision or to feel stress and say i'm going to take a breath and eat a handful of nuts <laughs> i'm going to take a breath and have some like beans and rice and broccoli for lunch rarely so if we can start teaching ourselves and maybe if you have friends here it's helpful to have people doing it with you to think about food as something that supports us through stress and trauma not just something that tastes good not just something that's pleasant which that's also important but something that supports us you start getting curious with that early question i asked how is your food supporting you you start to notice you notice when you eat something 30 minutes 40 minutes an hour later am i adrenalized am i feeling buzzy Am I feeling really tired and lethargic or am I feeling neutral and balanced? So your body will teach you yourself. You don't even need me or my course just to notice what that is, what that feels like. I'm going to ask Evan to put in the chat a few links to um, uh, three in partic- three particular podcasts that will be helpful when you leave here. And the one is a holiday um, theme about stressors and certain ways you can reduce the amount of adrenaline your body's creating. Uh, so that's, he'll put it there in a moment. And then there's also the original one on beans. I think it's episode eight. Beans are an incredible food. The number one question some of you are thinking here, what about anti-nutrients? That's the question I always get about beans. My answer is a non-scientific one. It is the same answer I give all the time. And you might be tired of hearing it if you've heard it before. My answer is our ancestors thrived on them. Our ancestors survived because of them. 
My bloodlines, they lived on beans and they brought lots of bodies into this world. Beans are an ancient indigenous superfood. They are humble, they're inexpensive, and there's lots of reasons people think they're bad for you. And they're just very misunderstood. So the more you do uh, research into that, and the more you research with your own body, you'll start to learn a lot about them. And one of the common reasons why beans are so disruptive physically is because they're so effective at detoxifying hormones from your gut, because they're loaded with soluble fiber, loaded. So when you eat them, you're getting soluble fiber, which acts like a fishing net that captures these little things called bile acids. And bile acids are magnets for toxins and hormones. Adrenaline is a hormone. When soluble fiber comes in contact with that bile acid and starts removing it, you have a bit of a fermentation and combustion in the gut. That's why you bloat. That's why you have lots of gas. That's why you constipate even and feel uncomfortable because initially the detox symptoms can be very inflammatory. That's the case. You start with one tablespoon of beans with each meal, one tablespoon, and you increase it by another tablespoon every three to five days. The goal is to get to half a cup of beans per meal. That amount will extract a beautiful amount of bile acids from your body and adrenaline. And the beans itself with your meal will remove extra adrenaline that would recirculate into your bloodstream. They are an absolute incredible food for balancing your blood sugar. They're great for the nervous system because of the minerals they bring. They're good for the thyroid. These beans are amazing and they are the most inexpensive form of protein. Most inexpensive. Great carbohydrate, great nutrient profile. Don't come for me and my beans. <laughs> and so when you start using them, you tell us how you feel and take your time, take your time. But the episode goes into it. Actually, Evan, why don't we put in, there's the debunking the myths that that episode goes deep into the anti-nutrition uh, or the anti-nutrient conversation. And then the final one is one on sugar. So he's going to put that all in the chat right now. So you can click on those before you get out of here. Those of you watching the replay, um, Evan is my swirly girl and he's very good at uh, being effective with things and efficient. So he'll put it in the email that goes out in the replay. Uh, so you can, you can refer to those. I would like to stay for 15 more minutes. I just want to check in with my team. Can y'all do that? Yeah. Camille, you could. I'll have to drop. Oh, Camille. Okay. I know. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I, is that what, before you have to drop anything, you want to add to this conversation because you usually chirp in a lot more, but I, I didn't see you wanting to, so I didn't stop. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, with all of this, uh, or like with all of this work in general, curiosity, curiosity, curiosity. It's really easy to judge ourselves when it comes to lots of things, but particularly food. Um, it can be about willpower or all these other things. Um, but if we start to notice our bodies from a place of curiosity, not the question of like, why can't I stop eating this thing, but really noticing how is my body using this thing? And if I have an understanding that, oh, my body needs to be stimulated, well, do I have capacity to rest? Or if I notice that my body needs to be depressed, what are ways that I can minimize other forms of stimulation? And so again, you can just get curious. So it's not about not eating the thing, but noticing why the body may be needing to eat the thing and maybe pivoting accordingly. And then the last, I know I was only going to say one thing, but the other last thing I'll say is titration, 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 titration. We actually gave you a lot of information today and it wasn't everything. And some of you may be feeling really overwhelmed or thinking like, I want to do all the things Louise just went through. You might just want to start with one. 
it might be as simple as going from full calf to decaf and just trying that. And then after doing decaf, maybe switching to a non-caffeinated tea and then maybe incorporating beans and then so on and so on and so on and slowly incorporating um, changes. So I will leave you with that. Thank you, love. Anyone want to post emojis for Camille as she goes off? Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> bye, love. Marika, Evan, are you cool to stay 10, 15 more minutes? Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else needs to leave? I understand it was only supposed to be an hour, so hop off. We will not be offended. I thought we could do a little bit of Q&A to hear some questions, to deepen our understanding of things. Like Camille said, I gave you a lot of information. It is my edge to teach the stuff simply. It's very difficult for me to stay simple. I get really excited and I just want to give as much as I can. So take your time with it. It's a lot. You could just extract 10 minutes from this and that'd be plenty. So really, I always tell people when you come to something I'm teaching, the piece that really got you, the piece that felt alive for you, the piece that felt easy to receive, that's yours to work with. Don't go to the ones that were difficult or you can't get your head around. Save those for another time. They will come back. Just start with the one that really resonated. So the way we're going to do this, if you go to the bottom and click reactions, you can click raise hand. I'm going to give everyone a couple minutes to orient to that and start raising their hands. You can also, I'm going to say, if you have a question via chat, send that to Evan, because Marika is going to be focusing on hands. So if you have a question, send it to Evan. He'll deal with your question or he'll say it out loud anonymously if it feels important to be heard by the group or answered by me. And Marika will call on people in no particular order. So just keep your hands up and we'll get through as many as we can and try to be as brief as you can. I might pause you uh, if it's going too long because I just really want to hear the question so I can answer it. Or the wisdom, whatever came up for you, you can share too. Let's do it. Um, Carolyn, please come off mute. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Marika. Hi, Louise. Hey, love. Hi. My question is about um, the kinds of sugars and how your body processes it. So um, I know processed sugar is not good for your body. In fact, I think they say it's more addictive than cocaine. That's what I read. And um, so what about sugars like natural honeys and things like, um, what is that? Um, I mean, just like fish. Yeah, there's agave, there's like um, coconut sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that? you asked. So the, so the thing, about, so this, there's two things here. Right. Three things. So thing number one is if we think about processed sugar, like Carolyn's saying, yes, it is more addictive than cocaine. Processed sugar is so low in minerals to no minerals. Like if we think of like white sugar, there is nothing in there but pure carbohydrate sugar. There's no nutrients left. There's no vitamins, nothing. So it hits the system straight up like a chemical. And that's why it's as or more addictive than chemicals like cocaine. And cocaine's also really refined, interestingly enough, from a leaf. So it's all this ultra-refinement really imbalances the body. Um, so that's the first thing to understand. It's about the mineral content. So certain natural sugars, I'm thinking uh, maple syrup, honey, agave nectar. Those have a lower glycemic index, which just means they boost the glucose levels more slowly, but they still boost them. And so the, the key here is our bodies have the ability to metabolize up to one teaspoon of sugar per serving. 
Okay. One teaspoon of sugar is eight grams. The body can metabolize that, whether it's even white sugar or honey. So if you're getting less processed, probably the most natural sugar you can eat is honey. It's the most natural one because it's nature made, no factory made it, especially if it's raw and it's local. You'll get an incredible amount of nutrients from the local flowers and um, even the pollen in your in your area, which can help lower your histamine response when it's allergy season. So honey is probably the most medicinal and beneficial of all the sugars. And that's the one I would recommend if you want something sweet, but still keep it to a teaspoon. When you go over a teaspoon of honey, you're still getting an excess of sugar of that carbohydrate molecule. The other thing is we have like the sugar substitutes. Things like stevia, things like, um, oh, what does it call them? A monk fruit extract. These, these are excellent. They, are, they have no carbohydrate. They taste like sugar. So these aren't going to cause a spike. However, some bodies are so sugar sensitive that the body gets tricked because it's so sweet that it still has the insulin response just from memory. So very few, but some people will have a stevia stevia sweetened food or, or drink, and they'll have an insulin response to that. Again, it's, it's rare, but it can still happen. And then that will still cause the adrenaline response. For the most case, totally fine with those, those sugar substitutes, as long as they're the natural one, not a chemical one. Thank you for that question. Good to see you. That's my friend. Okay. <laughs> um, Jennifer, please come off mute. Hi, Lewis and everyone. Um, hey, Jennifer. I did your course back in fall of 21, and I skipped the food because this has been the bane of my existence. And obviously, this is exactly what I'm needing. Um, I've quit. This, I've quit coffee. I'm aware of that, the, the responses or the stimulation, et cetera. Um, right now, at the moment, I have no appetite. And my my question is, is it, yeah, there's no appetite. Like, unless I go into, um, you know, I do a healing and my emotions are charged and then I'll, I'll crave some food at that point in time. Yep. I'm just wondering, um, I have a bit of a, bit of a thyroid problem. Um, I'm calming down since your course, it's been, I'm, I'm in a way better place. I can actually speak to you, which is, which is amazing. <laughs> I'm calm enough to and, and be in a group and That's actually awesome. be around 300 people. Or, yeah. I don't know how many people we have. Anyway, <laughs> um, my point is, is that... Uh... Well, can we pause there? Because I heard a lot and I want to respond okay. to it. It's, it's very clear and I appreciate it. Uh, the first thing that you're, you're teaching us through the question is when... So when we live... Remember earlier I was talking about functional freeze. When you live in a functional freeze, the area of the body that tends to be very constricted is the stomach. And when the stomach is constricted, you will not have appetite. You, your body won't even make the, the right enzymes for digestion or the hormones that allow you to digest. So a lot of people living in functional freeze will have very low appetite or even the ability to digest food. So it, that tracks for me with what you said, because when you get emotionally activated, you mobilize out of the functional freeze. So this is also why when you stop stimulants and sugar, you stop being activated and your freeze might come in more, which means you have less of an appetite. This, this can occur. So what you want to do with this is eat really small portions, really small portions every two, three hours. When I say small, I mean like a little piece of a carrot with 
uh, one or two spoonfuls of beans and like a quarter of an avocado, like a snack portion every two hours. And this is going to start helping your body ground, come out of the functional freeze a bit, and then your digestion will turn on and your metabolism will turn back on. But just consider that when we're in functional freeze, it's, it's often a visceral constriction. So that's why it's called functional freeze. Everything's moving. You're online. But deep in your viscera, it's pulling back and it's, it's numbing. And like an anesthetic, it's keeping things from moving. This is why people in functional freeze are also people who are highly constipated. Whereas someone that's stuck in a fight or flight, opposite, very loose bowels. IBS, that kind of thing. So this is, a, I'm glad you brought this up because this is part of the withdrawal when you start going into balancing foods. If your body's been, again, functioning from the stimulants and that's been allowing it to move your bowels, allowing you to digest all these things, that's going to stop initially when you start going to the balancers. Each body will have a different amount of time that that withdrawal takes place and will have a different need based on your history, your current health. I strongly recommend, and you should have the information because you were in the course, um, but if not, I'll say it for everybody here too. Uh, my friend Unique Hammond, she's what's called like a bean protocol expert, which Marika can't get over. And they, they, <laughs> and no shade, you know, uh, uh, Unique appreciates the humor of it, but she's a bean protocol expert. And she, I mean, her story is incredible. And I, there's a podcast interview with her that you can look up that talks all about it. Um, she works with people one on one to help them specifically. Uh, transition over to this kind of a diet and some people just need one session with her uh, so I would I would call on her Jennifer after you take in what I just said because I think you have the instinct and you have the work now from the course to kind of integrate what I just said and what you've learned see where that goes and then definitely send an email let us know where you are um let's we have time for one or two more unless there's something in the chat Marika that you want to presence Nope, it was all about sugar, and you answered all those questions. Okay, great. I just Eric's had something to add from the chat, if I can. Oh, go, Evan. Do you want to yeah. do it? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I just I had a bunch of questions coming up about timing and intervals for eating, and I thought if you could speak to that, that would be helpful. Anything in particular, or just like what's the best kind of thing? Um, yeah, generally, what's the best, and then I would say kind of what happens um, if you aren't adhering to some sort of regular schedule got it so the, the easy way to put it and again this is so different everybody is different but generally every three to four hours is when your body requires a new dose of glucose from food so once you get past that four hour point your body's going to start going into that adrenalized state to get glucose from your muscles this is why camille said earlier intermittent fasting is adrenalizing it's highly beneficial i, I personally love it I've uh, prescribed it to people when I was a nutritionist. It has incredible benefits. And part of what makes it so beneficial is the adrenal response, which causes your body to digest stored nutrition, like fat, tumors, triglycerides, glycogen, stored sugar. All these things get excavated from your body to fuel your body. But what excavates them? The adrenal response. So both can exist here, health benefits and you're adrenalized. So I don't recommend intermittent fasting when you have active PTSD symptoms, when you're in an active stressful situation, when you're already feeling tingly and buzzy, you have insomnia, that's not a time to intermittent fast. Let your adrenals heal first through balancing with consistent eating, then play with intermittent fasting. You, you will get there. I did. I used to have such bad hypoglycemia, I'd pass out everywhere. And now I can intermittent fast just fine. And that would have never happened 15 years ago. It didn't take 15 years, but it, it, it takes, took me a good two years to rehabilitate my adrenals. 
So it's not something that even happens in a couple of weeks. It's like the long haul, depending on how long you've been fatigued, but the standard every three to four hours. And that can include snacks in between, that can include meals, whatever your body feels and needs. Again, because of your output, your body type, your history, your lineage, there's so many different reasons you're going to create different foods at different times. So follow that, but try to do it within that four hour time. So it doesn't go too far beyond that. Can we do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. Okay. Erica, go for it. Please. Um, thanks so much for doing this. I just had a question about um, salicylates and oxalates. Um, I've had some really terrible reactions for almost 10 years now, so much so that I was, you know, I'm down to, I was at one point down to eating three or four different foods. And it just so happens that it's a lot of quote unquote healthy foods, fruit, vegetables, beans. Sure. Um, so I don't avoid them completely, but I definitely eat, can only eat small amounts. And I'm just wondering about, because what they create is sensations, yep. rashes, all of the things. So just what, what can you say about that in trying to get mm -hmm. to, shall I say, like less reactionary to those things? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a couple of things, and this is a, a complex, uh, complex answer. I'm going to try to make it really simple. When you are in a chronic adrenal response, especially through childhood, you emerge with a greater sensitivity to histamines because your body will make more histamines when you have more adrenaline coursing through your veins. So when you're developing with PTSD, you're developing with stress or traumatic events, you're also, your body is creating through childhood more of a sensitivity to histamines and other kinds of foods like oxalates and such. So people that will eat foods with oxalates, which like you said, everything in nature in the plant kingdom has them just in different, some are like negligible amounts, some like beans are really, really big amounts. Um, chard is a heat, tons of oxalates, spinach, these kind of things. So the body's unable to break these down because of the histamine response it has to them. And then it creates, like you're saying, the rashes, the inflammation, essentially an internal, we call these internal threats, where the body's actually having a threat to the food coming in because it can't fully process this compound, this oxalate attached to it because of these earlier sensitivities that occurred from excessive chronic stress exposure. So what do we do about that? You start to learn how to integrate soluble fiber foods that don't have oxalates. That would be uh, flax, uh, not flax, that would be psyllium husk. So psyllium husk would be your entry into slowly detoxifying the gut of that those bile acids I was talking about, lowering your adrenal response, having great support through somatic work to get your nervous system responding to the world in a much more regulated place. And then over time, the same way our bodies develop into these sensitivities, we start developing out of them when our adrenal levels start lowering. But anyone that has this experience Erica's having, the last thing you want is even a drop of caffeine. You don't want a drop of a, like, yes, you don't want a drop of a stimulant because it's going to make it much more difficult to eventually reverse this. So play with that for a minute, see where that goes. Consider unique, like I said, she could help ease you in because she's worked with a lot of people that have, um, even the people that have the issues with the other antinutrients like the phytic acid, the, the phytase um, uh, sensitivities, and she's gotten them on a full bean diet. So I think um, you could have some success there depending on where it goes. Um, let's pause because we're over time. And I just want to take a moment to thank everybody for sticking through that stayed and just feeling again, what's in your body. Where's your body going with all this? In fact, let's do this with Marika. 
DM Marika the one thing you heard today that feels doable. The one thing within your capacity, the one thing that resonates and feels true to your body. So we can hear that as a group and walk away understanding, okay, there's one thing I can do today. Not everything, but one. And Marika will read those anonymously and then we'll close. I'm hoping someone says Coca-Cola. <laughs> you can. The minute, some, the minute someone said that, I was like, oh no, now I want one. <laughs> this is Marika's drug of choice. Coca-Cola. <laughs> um, beans. That's one. No more caffeine. To notice how I'm feeling. <laughs> Hooray for beans. Uh, tend to my head when it hurts. Um, showing up without judgment. Um, listening to what my body needs when I'm craving a stimulant or a depressant. Just noticing. Uh, to keep snacking every three hours. Um, a lot of beans. Eating less chocolate. Quit caffeine. Think of my eating as a relationship to the food. Um, stop coffee every morning. Find a new way to come out of freeze. Quiet foods. Um, gradually increasing bean intake. Take one or two more. Noticing what adrenalizes, depresses, and balances my body and tracking. And less judgment for what I consume. And then also relating to food as a being. Love that. So let's all feel that again. And even when you heard some of those, like if you didn't have one, maybe you heard one, you're like, ooh, I can do that. And that's, that's where you start. You just start with what you can do. And if you start right there, that's like the building block to the next one when you have capacity. To try to incorporate all of them will overwhelm you and your body will retreat. So just start with the one that, that feels easy, the one that feels accessible within your capacity. I really appreciate this. I have no offers to promote right now. <laughs> so you can, the best thing you can do is get on the mailing list. So you get uh, reminded when we do the next one. And our next course, I guess I'd have one thing to promote. Our next course is in April. We'll remind you it's far away. But if you want to go deeper and do this work, you can do it with us at the next course in April. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions, that's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time.